G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to do something we haven't done actually for quite a while on the podcast, which is to look at some Linux uh, security news, and in this case, looking at uh, some recent reports on some malware found called BPF Door. So we're going to dig into some of the details behind that, which is pretty interesting. And we'll do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So this week, there were 32 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And first up, we had an update for Bind in Ubuntu 22.04, long-term support, the most recent release of Ubuntu. Uh, this uh, CVE only affects uh, more recent versions of Bind, so hence that's why the only release has been updated for this. In this case, you were affected if you had Bind configured uh, with DNS over HTTPS, so DOH. Uh, and so then in that case, it was possible for a client to cause the server to terminate a TLS connection early, and then uh, that would then trigger an assertion failure later on in bind, and that would then cause bind to terminate and cause a denial of service. Uh, but you know, in modern systems, using things like systemd and the like to keep things running, uh, yeah, that would have restarted anyway. So you're not a super high priority one there, but uh, that one fixed for bind. We had an update as well for uh, GNOME settings within uh, 2204 long-term support as well. Uh, this, again, this most recent version of Ubuntu uh, includes now uh, the ability to do desktop sharing via RDP and VNC. Uh, however, uh, in Ubuntu, we have a default you know, no open ports policy so that anything that you install shouldn't have ports listening by default unless you've explicitly configured that. Uh, however, uh, GNOME settings daemon, it had a logic flaw where if you then were to disable uh, sharing through the GNOME control center user interface, it would be disabled uh, at that time, but then if you rebooted your machine, it would get re-enabled again. So yeah, that has been fixed, and yet we assigned a CVE for that. Uh, after that was an update for OpenLDAP for our extended security maintenance releases. So that's 14.04 and 16.04 extended security maintenance. I actually mentioned this uh, vulnerability back in last week's episode when it was patched for uh, the LTS releases. In this case, it was uh, possible to perform SQL injection against OpenLDAP because of uh, the SQL backend there. Uh, if you had an SQL statement within an LDAP query. Uh, Vim was updated for nine different CVEs in Ubuntu 16.04 extended security maintenance as well. Uh, all of these were various instances of memory corruption vulnerabilities. In that case, if a user was tricked into opening a specially crafted file, you could either then crash Vim or possibly get code execution as the user who's running Vim. And for most developers, they may not see that as a huge problem. Although I guess, you know, if you've got your own secret stored on your own machine, you may. Uh, but, you know, there are certainly lots of sysadmins that use Vim to edit config files and inspect different files on their machine and that kind of thing. So, yeah, a good one that could be used for potential privilege escalation in that case. If you could drop a file, you know, a malicious file that kind of looked innocent that a sysadmin might edit then with Vim, you could then get uh, code execution in Vim. That would be interesting. Uh, speaking of maliciously crafted files to get code execution, we had an update for libpng, again for 604 extended security maintenance users. Uh, in this case, you know, libpng is actually used by lots of other high-level libraries, things like you know, GTK and other applications for uh, rendering PNG images. So yeah, another one that could be a good target there. Firefox was updated for a couple of different vulnerabilities that were actually disclosed during Pwn to Own. So I mentioned Pwn to Own in more detail uh, in last week's podcast episode. In this case, you know, Firefox was also a target there, and Manfred Paul uh, achieved code execution within uh, the privileged component of Firefox, thereby uh, escaping Firefox's internal sandbox, and was actually awarded a hundred thousand US dollars for that. Pretty cool uh, bounty for that one. Uh, and so yeah, this updates Firefox to the latest upstream release 100.0.2 to fix other uh, two vulnerabilities that we used uh, to do that exploit there and that was for a bunch of releases 1804 and 2004 long-term support and 2110. Uh, similarly Thunderbird was updated uh, this is to 
one, the latest upstream release. Again, that actually rolls in both those fixes, uh, as well as a bunch of other recent vulnerabilities that have been fixed, you know, that were in Firefox, but also apply to Thunderbird because they share a lot of the same code base, as well as one Thunderbird specific issue where it would show the wrong security status for a signed or encrypted attached message. And therefore you could then have an attacker trick the user into thinking that the message was actually trustworthy when it wasn't. After that was an update for a couple um, libraries within uh, 604 Extended Security Maintenance uh, for the X server. In this case, uh, a remote malicious X server could trigger out of bounds right uh, through either libx render or libx fixes. In both cases, you know, get memory corruption and code execution then. Uh, HTML doc was updated for one vulnerability in 1804 and 24 long-term support. Uh, this is a package that's used to convert HTML and markdown files to then generate things like EPUB or uh, PostScript or PDF. In this case, a crafted HTML file could trigger a heat buffer overflow. Again, that could then lead to crash or possible code execution. Uh, the account service package was updated for Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support. Uh, in this case, again, uh, this is actually an Ubuntu-specific CVE because uh, a previous CVE uh, that was we actually talked about all the way back in episode 95 of this podcast, uh, CVE 2020-16-126, uh, was inadvertently reintroduced because the patch that fixed it got dropped uh, when uh, the, the most recent update for that from Debian was merged in. Uh, so yeah, that's been fixed to reintroduce that fix. PostgreSQL was updated uh, from 1 to 1804 and 2004, 2204 long-term support and 2110. In this case, it was possible for an attacker who's able to create uh, non-temp objects. They could then achieve uh, SQL code execution as the super user within the database. And finally, uh, our syslog was updated for our 604 extended security maintenance customers as well. Uh, this is for a single CVE that I talked about back in episode 159. So yeah, uh, go check out that episode if you want to know the details on that one. And that is it for the week in security updates. So the other thing that I wanted to do this week was to have a bit of a deep dive into uh, some recent news reports about uh, some malware that's been found targeting Linux machines. The malware has been dubbed uh, BPF Door. Uh, it's actually, well, more recently reported by uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers in their uh, Cyber Threats 2021, a year in retrospect report. And uh, however, it has been, you know, that was released at the end of uh, last year, but it has actually been found uh, you know, older than that. Certainly samples of it have been seen for more than five years. Uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, attribute this to a Chinese threat actor that they dub Red Mention. And they say they observed it targeting uh, telecommunications providers, government and education institutions, and logistics uh, providers as well. And again, yeah, they dub this malware BPF door. So uh, it gets the name because it uses BPF uh, filter to do part of its work. Uh, it's quite a stealthy piece of malware. Uh, it essentially allows you know, a backdoor uh, on a system for remote code execution, but without opening any new network ports or firewall rules initially. And it does that by piggybacking on existing network facing applications. Uh, that is achieved through a BPF filter so that it can watch incoming packets and then activate itself accordingly. Uh, there's certainly been earlier versions of it uh, that have been found on VirusTotal and you know, lots of other different indicators of compromise on there that I've linked to in the show notes. Uh, even a sample of some earlier source code was found too and a full version of that is on Pastebin. And again, I've actually got a link to that in the show notes if you want to go and dig into it. But yeah, as I said, it is quite a stealthy piece of malware. Uh, it deletes itself from the file system and renames its processes so that it can look innocent and therefore hide in plain sight. Uh, again, as I said, it loads a BPF filter to be able to sniff traffic, hence where it gets its name from. And upon activation, it actually then modifies firewall to allow the attacker direct access. So if we look at that uh, in more detail, 
it copies itself into the dev shim ram disk uh, as a file name called kdm temp flush it then forks itself to clean up after itself and alter timestamps on itself to timestamp itself uh, to a specific timestamp that actually is uh, 17 minutes past seven in the evening on thursday the 30th of october 2008 so yeah that may give us either an indication of how old it is which is probably a bit too old really for something that is still out and about running now uh, but yeah maybe that was you know, a date that's significant to uh, the uh, author of this however yeah it drops a file then in var run uh, to prevent further copies of itself from running uh, you know as a uh, dropper there it deletes itself then out of the devshim ram disk and then uh, that original version exits to leave the forked copy running resident in memory and then that's when it sets up its bpf filter to watch for incoming packets uh, to activate itself so that then means you know there's very little sign of it left on your your disk or and the like uh, as I said, it renames itself so you can't see it in PS output easily. Uh, it doesn't appear, in a, at least some of the versions that have been seen, doesn't appear to have any particular persistence mechanism built into it itself, but uh, some reports suggest the use of Crontab or RC or init scripts to achieve that. Uh, as I said, to, by deleting itself from the RAM disk, that then allows it to, self, to avoid detection from uh, various file system malware scanners. Although uh, by the fact that you now have a process that's running without a file on disk, uh, the Linux kernel you know, it knows that. It actually then uh, puts the process name with the word deleted in parentheses after it. So you can actually see that by looking in your know, proc, whatever the PID number is, slash XE, you'll actually see that uh, the word deleted is in, in there. So you can actually go and uh, detect things like that. So it does look a bit suspicious. Something else it does is it, uh, say, it sort of renames its process. It renames uh, argv, uh, argument zero, so that it can then look like other commonly found processes, things like dbus daemon or uh, udevd or auditd, that kind of thing. Uh, similarly, though, it also wipes its uh, environment uh, variables as well to try to hide its activities. However, again, this is something that's actually reasonably suspicious. You know, almost no process that's running on your machine should have you know, an empty environment that it's running with. Certainly when it's spawned, it will be given an environment. And so if it then goes and wipes that, that is, again, uh, you know, a suspicious activity. And you can do things like run uh, strings on proc, you know, PID number slash environ, and that will show you that that's empty. And again, so pretty easy to detect that kind of thing and find, uh, you know, suspicious looking stuff like that uh, so yeah but um, it also as I say it loads this BPF filter and so then it uses the BPF filter to inspect uh, or go looking for ICMP TCP or UDP packets that then uh, have a special magic value in the first couple bytes and then uh, packets that are like that it passes into the main packet processing routine so it doesn't sort of process every single packet in full detail to keep itself lightweight but it does then yeah, hand these into it where it looks for a couple specific passwords that are encrypted via RC4 uh, it then will set up either a assuming the password's correct obviously it will then set up either a local bind shell for the attacker to connect or it can connect back to the attacker with a reverse bind shell uh, to do that it then sets up an ip tables rule to then redirect traffic from that original port back to the port of the bind shell on local host so that then means you know you're not having to you know, open up say a port uh, to the internet that has that uh, that new port number that you know the bind shell is listening on it can just redirect traffic say on you know from uh, port 443 HTTPS to uh, that and you know even though it's not actually using say HTTPS under the hood it will be using say I don't know SSH or something like that uh, yeah that can then do that through the IP tables redirect uh, as I said it uh, then uh, when it sets up that bind shell it masquerades that process name to look like postfix and then sets you know pretty specific environment within that setting things like hist file as dev null so again something suspicious to go looking for there uh, but now it's running this shell and the attacker has full access to the machine uh, and you know can then go and do whatever they want 
So yeah, looking at that, it's a reasonably advanced piece of malware. These sorts of techniques are not really advanced, but they are obviously enough put together that it, you know, from simple inspection, you won't easily find it. But again, it does leave a lot of little sort of custom telltale signs there that you can go looking for to find it. And a lot of these reports, you know, there are various indicators of compromise that are linked to there that you can go and find and allow you to more easily um, hunt this down on your machines if you think you are compromised. We often see reports like this uh, in the news and things of different pieces of malware and the like, but what we rarely ever see is any information about uh, what the initial compromise vector was as to how to get them running on the machine and then how to achieve privilege escalation. Because in this case, uh, you know, it's loading a BPF filter on a raw socket. You need usually to be root to create a raw socket and do that. So you're already going to need to be root on the machine in the first place before setting up your back door. Um, so for Linux, yeah, there's almost no information of this at all. Uh, in the case, uh, the versions of this have also been found that target Solaris. And uh, there's a, a blog post from CrowdStrike that mentioned an old Solaris CVE, CVE 2019-3010, uh, that's used to do privilege escalation via X screensaver, but you know, that vulnerability didn't affect Linux. So it's not using that to achieve privilege escalation on any Linux platforms that it's installed on. So it would be interesting to find out more, I guess, about how yeah, they just first, these machines are first getting compromised and then getting a privilege escalation in the first place to be able to deploy it. But I guess what we can see then is that it is really important, obviously, to keep your machines updated with the latest patches so that you're not, say, you know, if you're running an old Solaris machine, you don't, say, have, you know, this uh, X screensaver vulnerability that is still affecting you. You've updated uh, and you're now safe, hopefully. What's interesting to me, I guess, is to see, you know, the various levels of detail that uh, exploit authors go to to try to hide in plain sight and the like. Uh, but ultimately, you know, they're just setting up, say, an SSH shell for the attacker. So it's not like super complicated then what it's actually doing, but I guess it allows you then to do whatever you want as, at the end of the day on that machine uh, afterwards. So yeah, um, I guess if anyone listening, if you've seen uh, any sorts of malware or stuff yourself, or you know, you've seen news reports or stuff that you find really noteworthy, let us know, because we would love to discuss that on a future episode as well. However, in the meantime, you can get in contact with us at securityubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network, and we are on Twitter too, at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week to do this all again. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.